another sports Q&A podcast. This is your boy Q. And we got A on the other end. What's good, A? What's good, man? I'm sitting here enjoying these last days of summer like I'm on the Green Mile. School starts on Tuesday. Oh, boy. Yeah. You ready? <laughs> and I, don't, I don't have a choice. <laughs> True. My choice or force. Uh-huh. I'll take choice. But we're in there. It's been a great, great week uh, since the last podcast. Before we even get into our topics today, definitely want to lead you all to go check out what we're doing in social media and on our website. We got a couple new articles on our website, www.sportsqanda.com. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at sports underscore QA. Follow us on Twitter, sports underscore QA. Also, for you high school fans, sports underscore QA underscore preps. Follow us on Twitter, our group, Sports Q&A. And that's about it. But also, you can listen to all of our podcasts on your favorite podcast uh, modes of, of listening, whether it's iTunes, whether it's Spotify, or whether it's Anchor. You can listen to it anywhere. Just make sure you uh, search Sports Q&A podcast. Very simple. Look for that logo. The brand new logo is black, red, and white with a football and a mic. It got to be college football for me, though. All right. Right. But we're going to jump right in here, and we're going to talk about some level, high levels of stupidity. And this is ironic because of what you just said. You may not be watching the NFL, but the NFL has still found ways of making it to the your news blotter, my news blotter, and the headlines. Um, in case you haven't heard, and today, Wednesday, August 29th, linebacker Michael Kendricks of the Cleveland Browns, yep, the old same Cleveland Browns has won HBO's Hard Knocks, which is a good season. I've checked it out, a couple of episodes. Pretty interesting. Just weird seeing a guy like uh, Corey Coleman one episode, they're talking about his sneaker collection. Next episode, they're talking about him being traded. So that's how quickly things move in the NFL, and we're about to find out just how quickly they move because of this whole Michael Kendrick situation. If you haven't heard already, already this man has been arrested. Well, he was released from the Cleveland Browns after admitting to insider trading. Say what? Now, how? Yes. First of all, okay, we understand the whole you're getting tips from a, a inside source about some stocks. He made roughly $1.2 million, and now he risks going to jail for 20 years, and I think it's a $5 million fine. This is not adding up. I guess whoever put him on this game did not tell him about the risk because I mean, this dude is an NFL player, and I, I get Al, he may not make money like some guys we're going to talk about in another segment on the, on this episode, but $1.2 million, I can see if this is one of us, because that's the type of money we won't ever accumulate in one fell swoop. But as an NFL player, this is a veteran, he's been elite for a while, why would you take that risk? Yeah, it's, it's, it seems like uh, kind of like we saw it like in the 80s and 2000s with a lot of guys getting caught up 
in the uh, real estate game with the shell game and putting money up and, and getting burned or being shell companies for other things, uh, a lot of athletes. But this just seems like the classic uh, financial planner or someone with some financial savvy taking advantage of athletes because athletes have that, that ready income. They have the cash flow. But the thing is, is that you had to have know if you take receive a payment from some trading of that volume, the microscope is on you. Uh, no way, shape, form around it. It is happening. How do you fall for that trap? I mean, because the thing is, is that and and I and I can see on a level how you fall for that trap. And I'll give you an example in in my life in schools. Uh, you have financial planners, you have, uh, uh, insurance guys, you have all these other people that come to the building. They come and talk and sell, you can sell you a bridge and tell you all the things you, you, you need. And the next thing you know, you getting $400 out your account that you won't see for many years down the lane, but it, because it sounds good because, Hey, I need this now, but them flipping that money and doing it at that quick pace, it's kind of, he kind of thought like, oh, well, I can just get this easy money to add what I'm doing. And I'm pretty sure the person hyping up, like you make so much money, they're not going to notice it and blah, blah, blah. But dude, that's, a, dude, that's a setup. That To me, that's a failure to have a solid team around you. Because how much do you want to bet? What are the odds that someone in his crew brought that person to him? So like you and I cool, you in the league, somebody know I'm your guy, they come to me and say, man, I got a chance for your guy to make some a million dollars in one lick. Oh, bet? All right, let me do the introduce. And then that's it. Um, as the story comes out, I'm going to kind of follow it and see because we, we were talking about it pre-show. He has to roll over on somebody and has to have some good information because this bright young man, confessed on social media that is never going away it's never being removed and according to and i bust almost bust out laughing and you was telling the story according to the fake sports center breaking news the fbi has claimed former browns linebacker michael kendrick's off waivers that's 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 what you set yourself up for for that level of stupidity when you really didn't have to. And that and that's the whole thing. Is that that's that greed thing. And I mean it happens in big business all the time. People trying to make more money upon more money upon more money. And it is not necessary. And now you are gonna basically at some point either lose your freedom. You've already lost your livelihood, at least right now. Um but it's amazing. I know this is not about our topic that I'm gonna get. I'm gonna hop on this and hop back off. This guy got charged for insider training and got released immediately. And you have people charged with crimes, convicted of crimes, playing in the league. Amazing, violent yeah, crimes like that. No, I mean, and, and that shows the hypocrisy and the back and forth that we deal with with the with the NFL. And even in professional sports, now I pulled up his contract information. He, this is 
previously spent one, two, three, four, five, five years in Philadelphia. Now, anybody that follows the NFL knows these numbers aren't the full, don't tell the full story. But when you look at his salary, as far as what they were supposedly paying him over these five, six seasons in Philly, he made $10.3 million. He had $9.2 million, $9.6 million in signing bonus, $450,000 in workout bonus, $37,000 in incentives. So that's a total cash amount of $20 million. million. Now, we know he probably didn't see it all, but that's still a nice chunk of change and too nice of a chunk of change for him to be risking it all for $1.2 million. Right. So you look at, okay, we give you 55, 60% of that money. That's that's $12 million easy. Mm -hmm. You can't tell me that you needed that quick. Well, again, Money doesn't mean that a lot of money doesn't mean you have money management skills. So right. you you'll definitely see because you know when it comes to stuff like this, the FBI will go through all of your records and everything. You could have been struggling for money. Could have made some bad investments. Could have been yeah. supporting family and friends. You you never know. But to something to this extent, you would at least think that you would do something where it can be a long standing. All right, I know this thing is gonna do. Let me buy some things or have my mama buy some things or somebody else that can equal up to that same amount, but not me doing it myself. That's, that's, that's asinine. So I mean, I'm really going to watch, watch this story as it rolls out to kind of see the timeline and other things. And I'll be willing to bet, bet somebody dinner that he didn't go out searching for that person. Somebody in his circle brought him to him. Because they were like, oh, you can do this, and then you get this, and you're responsible, then, hey, you can, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure he'll give you such and such. You know what I'm saying? And I, if I'm not mistaken, I'm going to try to pull up the information right now. Part of the payment to the to the guy was tickets. So it wasn't even oh, like dude. dude was paying him top-level money to get this information. Um, Yeah, I got to... I'm going to try to find it out. But yeah, Sports Illustrated legal analyst Michael McCann wrote that he expects Kendrick to see nowhere near the maximum prison prison sentence. But penalties could include a three-year period of supervised release and a $5.3 million fine. So you, so you lost, you, you gambled on one point two, now you got you owe five million dollars. That's crazy. Poor money management, and, and I think this is one of those. If uh, anybody that we probably know or grew up in a, a decent mentality home would tell you, they this this whole theory sounds like this. If it sounds too good to be true, it normally is. And this had to, and I guarantee, the way they painted this scenario, the way they painted this, it had to sound too good to be true. Are you just going to hand me this money? You just going to do this? And that's all it, you ain't got to worry about it. It's going to be easy. Nothing's this easy. It's going to be a breeze. 
Okay, here here's the full story. Investigators say that Demolier Sanaki, a former investment banker and writer on the TV show Blackish, passed insider information to Kendricks between 2013 and 2015 while Kendricks was playing for the Eagles. Kendricks allegedly made about $1.2 million in illegal profits on four major trading deals. In exchange, Sanaki was paid $10,000 in kickbacks, as well as perks that included Eagles tickets and meet and greets with recording artist Tiana Taylor. Mm. I know she's like, hold on, why are you mentioning my name? Right. Hey, I ain't got nothing to do with this. This is just, y'all was at my party on my show. Don't tell nobody y'all know me. <laughs> so, yeah. And this is the interesting thing. In a statement, Brown's general manager, John Dorsey, said the club was aware of a financial situation that Kendricks had been involved in in 2014 before they signed him to the one-year $500,000 deal. So he's playing the victim. Here's the quote: We are told we are we were told that Michael fully cooperated with investigators as a victim. So I'm guessing that he's gonna, like you mentioned earlier, he's gonna flip, and the guy that he's flipping on is Sanaki. So, but you don't go to social media seeing that. Yeah, you 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 got to be wiser than that, bro. Like, like. Like, nothing, you don't, like, you can't, like, I don't even understand what made sense. I think he was, maybe because he, maybe he's doing that because he's claiming he's the victim. And he's playing the victim. Like, I knew it was, I, I knew it was wrong. I didn't know how wrong. I didn't know exactly what it was. I mean, he has to be using that. So maybe his lawyer did say, you know what, play, play the, the ignorant role. Play the, the, that I didn't know. I was confused. He, I had the resources. He told me this. That that has to be the only logic to it. So maybe it is logic to it, and I just missed it. No, ain't that much logic. Well, that still don't, that still doesn't make sense in the grand scheme of things, because you're still putting yourself in a position. If they, if whoever he's trying to implicate has good lawyers, they'll be like, "Oh no, you were the professional athlete. You were the big bang. You knew what you were getting into." All this stuff. So, I mean, this this is why you have to be so protective of your money. And this is why, and this is not just NFL players, but all athletes are subjected to these type of things because they either, they want, they recognize that they're on the tail end of their playing career and they're trying to find that next big, that next quick buck kind of keep the, the, the cash flow coming in, or they become the cash cow to family, friends, and loved ones that they've been bled so dry that they got to find something to to compensate the fact that mama, daddy, cousins, brothers, baby mamas are asking for enormous amounts of money. Yeah. <laughs> and at, at some point, you have to just realize Everybody can't get paid. Everybody can't get taken care of. Everybody can't come with you. And I hope he wasn't the the, the family breadwinner or the, the sole provider of 
multiple grown adults. Cause I'm like, I, I understand mom and dad. Uh, if if you have both parents still alive, you have still good relationships. And if you end up having kids, adhering to that responsibility in your own intermediate family. But second and third cousins, your boys, all that stuff, no. Nah. You can't eat off me. I'm a, I'm a, I might be willing to put you in position to make your own money, but you're not just going to eat off me. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is this is like the polar opposite. And again, we are, you know, speculating that that may have been the case of why he felt the need to do it. But this is kind of the polar opposite of why they, you know, they complain about athletes not coming back to the hood and other things. He got taken advantage of by somebody who knew better than he did. You know, he knew it was wrong. You know, so this is the other end of why you have to have. If you have your crew that you bring up with you, here's the thing. Learn from LeBron. Have the right crew around you. You educate your crew. You get them the, the neat things that they need because you already trust them, but now you give them the knowledge that they can do the jobs that you need them to do. So now they're looking out for you doubly. You, you, yep. got, you got to do that. Otherwise, you find yourself in these type of predicaments, and now your, your future and everything is unknown. So sad. So unfortunate. Yeah, let's, I mean, but hey, okay. let's move on to some 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 guys right now that are still on the unfortunate side of NFL, but because that for whatever reason, th- their owners are not playing or or coaches are not playing playing in the sandbox right now with them. You are we are a day away from the last last two uh, preseason games, and you still have some stars. Uh, all pro players, three of them that still have not reported to camp. You have Aaron Donald, who it's been rumored. First, they were on the same continent. Then they're in rumor. Now he's talking about that he's on the verge of potentially a $22 million contract. You have Le'Veon Bell, who's holding out. Last year, he'd been franchised two years in a row. Uh, He's held out, but he told his teammates, Labor Day, he's coming to work. And then you have Khalil Mack, who is, this is the most bizarre situation, and the Raiders may regret for the rest of their lives bringing John Gruden back if they lose uh, one of their all-time great linebackers and Khalil Mack uh, over some philosophical differences, maybe not wanting to pay a linebacker that much money. What What are your thoughts on these guys? So we know Le'Veon's, according to, uh, to reports, are going to be in uh, on Monday. What do you think Donald's going to do? You think he's going to get this contract? Oh, yeah. I think Donald is – the Rams aren't, aren't stupid. They know what's up. They – Carlos Dunlap, Geno Atkins got their money. Yes, well, today, signing extensions with the with the, the Bengals. You see some of these other players getting their deals. I think they wanted to see where the market was going to go. And it was a game of chicken. Between them and the Raiders, and they, because they know if they signed Donald before Matt got his money, Donald was going to come up short. But at this point, right now, they can't wait on their the, the the California the Oakland Raiders to make a decision because from the looks of it, it may not happen anytime soon. So they figured he's worth the money. He's the depending on who you talk to, the most dominating interior lineman in the game right now, 
you know, even though he he plays a, a position that normally doesn't command high dollar amounts, his production results it requires that he gets paid a nice amount. I mean, he's more productive recently than JJ Watt. Um, and we saw that the guys down in Jacksonville, Malik Jackson, all those guys. There's not a guy on the line that's more dominant than Aaron Donald. And to this day, I still get sick watching him play because he should have been in a Lions uniform. Uh, Eric Ebron was a luxury pick that year. Even Odell Beckham was a luxury pick. But when you know you have Indomitian Sue and Nick Fairley, uncertainty with both those guys, you figure, even if, if I had to deal with, if I only had them for three years, or two years, that's a, a rotation right there that's one of the best in the league, and it changes things. And if Sue decides, like he did, to move on, you have his replacement already on the roster. We knew, the fans knew Sue wasn't going to resign in Detroit. So I don't know why management didn't do that. But it is what it is. Um, Aaron Donald was going to get his money. As far as Le'Veon Bell, this dude knows his days in Pittsburgh are numbered. Uh, he's the, the track life, of a, the trail life for a running back really isn't that long. Um, he's kind of milked it as, as best as he can. And I see him signing another uh, another franchise deal, signing a tender, uh, or agreeing to a one-year deal, however it works out, and then moving on. And I, I think Pittsburgh is starting to – they drafted a couple of guys. They drafted uh, John Connor last year, Jalen Samuels this year from NC State. They're trying to find somebody to be his replacement. Yes, you may not – it may take two or three guys to do it, but at this stage in his career – and what Pittsburgh needs, they need more help on that defensive side of the ball. So giving him a high-dollar deal like uh, Ty Gurley or what Zeke is going to get is not valuable for Pittsburgh. So he's going to probably have to go for greener pastures. And all right, um, I seriously hope as a Lions fan that they sort out the running back situation this year because I do not want to hear that, oh, they should bring Le'Veon Bell in all season next year. But Khalil Mack, this is John Gruden being John Gruden. And I think what they brought up as far as, oh, the Raiders' defense was bad with him, perhaps. But you don't let a guy that made all pro at two positions in the same season go. That's, 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 he's, just as talented and just as productive as Von Miller is, even though they rarely use him in this capacity, his pass coverage skills were one of the best as a linebacker. Dude, this, like you said earlier, this is a once-in-a-generation type player, and the Raiders are going to let this guy go because John Gruden. And his brother, Jay Gruden, saw the same type of situation in, in Washington with Kirk Cousins, the franchise tag, uh, which I heard speculative could happen, where they sign him to the franchise tag this year, franchise him next year, and then let him bounce after that. But by then, they've kind of used him up, so to speak. 
So it, it, it's just it's, it's going to be interesting to see how things go go with all three players. I wouldn't want to be a Raiders fan right now <laughs> because now you're already dealing with the fact that your franchise is about to move to Vegas, and this team now is about to risk having his best player sit out the last year in town. I'll be pissed. Yeah, I so, mean, I mean yeah. you have to look at the Raiders from this aspect that three years ago the Raiders, barring the injury to Derek Carr, were on their way to potentially going to the Super Bowl. Yep. To now them being a train wreck. Uh, it, it's it's just amazing how quickly thing, the tide turns in the NFL and you have changing in leadership that change in direction, if for whatever reason John Gruden feels that Khalil Mack shouldn't, uh, you know, get paid, then trade him. Get some value for him because it's guaranteed that even if he plays this season, he's not going to play again. Um, Because, number one, if you're not trying to pay him, you're sure not going to franchise him and pay him. So the thing is, is that, you have to be wise and say, determine if this is not where it is. Because at the end of the day, the Raiders are not win ready right now. I mean, th- just face it. They, they're, they're not. They have some pieces there, but they're not nowhere near where, they're, where they were a couple of years ago. So be smart and make the best decision for your franchise. I mean, you have this 10-year contract. Uh, you got time. I mean, once they sign the contract, you got time. So then build your team your way and see if Chucky rules. I mean, that's the end of the day. But at this point, I mean, it's it's asinine. uh, And you've seen a lot of rumors of potential trades, but those kind of died down after about three or four days. And everything is just like gone with the wind. Like somebody make a decision. Somebody make an adult decision regarding the situation uh, doing this. Now, Khalil Mack, again, may play. Because he's not getting paid. Um, but I don't see that happening. Um, I don't see that happening. But I, again, you see the trends of players controlling their destiny when it comes to their contracts and other things. Again, I mean, <laughs> you see things like Julio uh, set out for a couple of days and realized, hey, I got a couple more years on mine. I may need to try to have another great year. Then try to renegotiate. You have to, I mean, because what happens is it ends up being cheap labor. You get a guy who's trending, he becomes all pro, becomes a great player, and then now he's still in this contract, whether it's a rookie contract or second contract, and he's not getting paid his worth. So what do you do as a player? You know, a lot of times, you know, agents may say, hey, my hands are tied, or agents say, hey, you know what, Make this, take this stand. We're able to be able to do this. And it pays off for certain people on the other end because you look at in New York last year, Odell. The rumor was, hey, they're gonna get him out of here. They're gonna trade him. They're gonna do this. The GM was was non-committal, and then Odell, even though he got injured last year, they start recognizing his value, and he came up with the payday of all paydays for wide receivers with a five-year, ninety-five million dollar contract. Now. That takes the weight out of his shoulders, or off his shoulders. But now, how much pressure is on Odell for him to deliver? Where 
you know, it's basically him and Shepard. Uh, you know, who? I mean, uh, uh, Cruz is long gone. Uh, so how much more is he going to do? He is a great wide receiver. There's no no doubt in that at all. But when it comes right. down to now when you get the money, how is he going to deal with being overanalyzed by the analyst, uh, you know, dropping a pass, a meaningless pass, but having 200 yards and fans berating him? You know, it's going to happen now. Because as much as fans want to say, Oh, my favorite player and this and that. As soon as a player complains, as soon as a player does not perform up to your standard, it starts talking about whining millionaires. You can't have it both ways. But you can't tell fans that. So uh, when it comes to that, I'm glad Odell got his money. He he deserved it. Uh, and he deserved it. And I think when I say he deserved it, it's not other people. It's not like Julio doesn't deserve more money for what he does. But... He deserved it, and he did it in the right time frame of his career, based on contract. Now, a lot of times things don't align to that, uh, because sometimes players either peak too soon or peak too late, uh, and, and some teams aren't willing to make that. Le'Veon may be in that boat. Just jumping back to Le'Veon, of how much is somebody willing to pay for Le'Veon, where people view the position of running back as a disposable position. They know his value. They know what he can be. They know what he can do. He can have a, 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 a 1,500 yards, 100 receptions in a year. But how much is somebody truly willing to pay for his services? And that's the crazy thing. But when it comes to quarterbacks, I will say this on every level, from, high, from peewee to high school to college to NFL, is the least, that it's the position with the least, amount of talent and you see that in college where you got freshmen coming in starting you see it in the nfl when you had this upper third that are getting paid like crazy the middle third getting paid crazier because they're average and then the bottom third getting paid at some asinine level because they're not good um that your man over in Green Bay, A.A. Ron, is about to get some some A-Rap money. Uh, signed for uh, an extension, basically four years, $135 million, but it's basically including this year, so it's a five-year contract. But A.A. Ron will be getting $80 million by March. Whoever his, whoever his agent is, is the agent of the century. Because granted, A.A. Ron is a great quarterback. A.A. Uh, Ron is just coming off a season-ending injury. And this is the second time in three or four years that he's had season-ending injury. And yet, he still has that value to the Green Bay Packers. Because Green Bay know that if they don't have A.A. Ron, they ain't got shit. Right. So is A.A. Ron at this point in his career worth that amount of money? I mean, the value is there if the if the other party involved sees it. And we, we know, and you just said it, if Green Bay does not have discount double check, that's a 6-10, team consistently. And it's... I mean, we saw what happened last year with Brett Hundley, who they traded today to Seattle 
because um, I guess they're more they're satisfied with Deshaun Kaiser as as a backup. But um, it's just one of those things where you you see value, so you pay it. I mean, we've had this discussion about some of the other quarterbacks, the the Matt Ryan's, the the Tannehills, the Staffords. Should they be making what they're making? Probably not, but because the market dictates it. And, I mean, how can you justify what, who many call the best quarterback in the league right now or the most talented quarterback in the league not being the highest paid? I mean, I think even the structuring of the deal was so that he could have the highest year-per-year average in the league. And it's like, okay, it's him and Brady. That's it. Nobody else... They're in a whole different stratosphere, and it's crazy. But you have guys like Jimmy G, Stafford, Kirk Cousins, still up there for some strange reason. Yeah, I mean, but it, I think it's the value that they hold for their team. I mean, from uh, from a, a Lions perspective, could the Lions afford to let Stafford walk? They couldn't. As much as he's ballyhooed in, in the city for what he isn't, he number one, and you can say whatever you say. He's the greatest quarterback in the history of the Lions, uh, including Landry. Um, he's he's shown that, but what does that say? He gives him opportunity. Yes, you could get another quarterback in there, but how does that happen? You don't want a merry-go-round. If you look at the quarterbacks that have come out the last five years in the, in the draft, how many of them would make the Lions better substantially? No. Well. That the I mean, in all reality, that the Lions had an opportunity to draft. How many of them? Uh, how many of them would make the Lions better? Where they could have let Stafford go? Because that was the they, Stafford or Sue was the argument um, back in the day, and it was keep Sue. But what would you have become? Because you couldn't run the ball. You need a quarterback that can sling it. Yeah. What? What? Who? Who? Who came out that you could draft that you passed on that could have happened? Not too many folks. Yeah. I can't think of yeah. anybody off the top of my head. I mean, you have Lions, uh, Stafford haters that will find anybody. Deshaun Watson, uh, those type of players. Somebody stupid to even mention that. But I, I've always been of the, the mindset that majority of these quarterbacks, even the greats, are products and benefactors of their location. You put Tom Brady in Detroit, he's not Tom Brady. You put Aaron Rodgers at the time in Tampa Bay, he's not Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> so for us to automatically think, oh, we can just transfer this player to our organization, to our coaching staff, to our roster, and it will be uh, the transitive properties, uh, it's it's not going to happen that way. So we have who we have, whether you like them or not, and you have to make a, the best of the the situation. And I think, and, and we've had conversations about Stafford. Is he uh, uh, the top one tier quarterback? Probably not. But there aren't. He's good enough. To win when you have things around 
he's not going to carry your team to a Super Bowl. He's not going. He's not going to single handedly beat a team. Right, but, and you don't have too many quarterbacks that 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 will, and you don't have too many of your great quarterbacks that can win with not a, not a good collection of players around them, either a running game or a stable of wide receivers. Because you can talk all day about how great all these AA Ron and, and and Brady and Breeze, but when did they not have a running game? When did they not have wide receivers? They can do that. And when did they not have an offensive coordinator that, that played to their strength? And that's what's more important is having that, that coaching and that that system that plays. I mean, think about it. He's had Jim Bob Cooter for how long? This is the third year, I think, as, yeah. a, as an OC. So imagine if he would have had him from the start or had someone similar to him. Uh, to start his career, that changes the tra- the trajectory and all of that. So, yeah, it does. But you know, we mentioned those quarterbacks; they're Hall of Famers, and we got in. Quinn got into a debate online, uh, and I actually got into a discussion online along the same lines uh, about the the basketball Hall of Fame because it's not the NBA bas- uh, Hall of Fame; it's a basketball Hall of Fame. So, Quinn's conversation stemmed on a player who we have a conversation with. It usually lasts about 10 seconds when you ask whether he's a Hall of Famer. But apparently, somebody was on the polar opposite end of Quinn's opinion when they asked about Big Shot Bob, that's Robert Horry, whether he is a Hall of Famer. And I, and I actually peeped in and, and got in on the conversation a little bit, but... Robert Horry averaged 7.9 points in his career, I believe. Yep. Uh, granted, made some clutch shots in some high-pressure situations, but he's not a Hall of Famer. There's nothing other than getting seven championship rings that makes Robert Horry's career sound anything close to Hall of Fame. Granted, he should be, right. he should be Houston... Rockets Hall of Fame, maybe San Antonio Hall of Fame, but definitely his college Hall of Fame and and, and high school for sure. But and he could even be the the mayor of his hometown. <laughs> but Robert Horry, no shape, form, or fashion should ever be in the Basketball Hall of Fame. And granted. Seven championships is up there with uh, Bill Russell and the Celtics and that dynasty, and uh, but he was not the a focal point. <laughs> nor and he was clutch, but he was not the focal point. The argument is: Could they have won those championships without him? Probably all of them, except for one that people in Detroit know too all too well. Rashid, thanks. Um, but other than that, he just happened to be in the right place in the right time. So this kind of got us to thinking, like, what other current players or recently retired players or guys throughout history that we kind of thought on or saw play 
that were good players, all-stars, had some good or great moments, whether they're Hall of Fame or not. So we're going to go through here and we'll give some reasons why and why not. So one of my former students who doing something similar like we do in sports Q&A, he has a basketball uh, group in, on Facebook, Sarante, and – Oh, no, no. Sorry, this is not Sarante, but he does have that group. This is one of my former players and students, Mark, who asked, tagged me and asked, is Dwight Howard a Hall of Famer? Yep. Uh, and that was my response. And my and my, my, def, and my uh, support for that is that Dwight Howard numbers offensively and defensively make him a Hall of Famer. The issue that people have with Dwight Howard is the fact that Dwight Howard admittedly said in public to the media that he does not want to be the superstar. And people took offense that a seven foot one, 280 pound player that they people feel that could be as dominant as Shaq chooses not to be. They also frowned upon from when he jumped and went to L.A. and basically quit on the team or was not willing to work as hard as Kobe needed him to work. Again, if you look at what his career is and his numbers, specifically in Orlando, being as dominant as he, he was, he's a Hall of Fame player. Cause yeah. He played on both sides, of, both sides of the court, a couple of Defensive Players of the Year awards, Multi, multi-year all-star. He's just not a fan favorite. He's just not a media favorite. But he is a Hall of Fame player. Arguably a first ballot Hall of Fame player. Because when you take it all aside and you look at the numbers and you look, he was dominant. He just didn't want to be a superstar. He guarded the rim. You weren't going up and putting nothing up there without him affecting if he's in the game. And you had to game plan for him, for him to get down. The worst thing about him was his free throws. And I'm speaking about him like he's not in the league. He's still in the league. But he's not his former, he's not his former self. But what he has displayed over the years has led me to believe that he's a Hall of Famer. Dwight, you got sports Q&A vote. You're a Hall of Famer. Next, I'm going to let you... Yeah. Take the lead on this. Recently retired, Manu Ginobili. Retired yesterday. Now, basically, I'm gonna let Q do it. But he basically brought and created, the, brought the Euro step, made it popular in the U.S. Is he a Hall of Famer? Q and why or why not? Based on his total resume, his total basketball resume, which includes his time in the NBA plus his time overseas, plus the the gold medal with Argentina, yes, he is. And I think this is where the numbers may not tell the full story. And it's why that you can't always look at points per game, rebounds, and assists to determine someone's value. And I know, I'm, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking of a player that I detest, and I always look at his numbers, but he still doesn't deserve it. But Manu was <laughs> a starter that decided, for the sake of the team, 
go to the six man mm-hmm. and became one of the best six men in the league. And I mean, he has rings, four time NBA champ, six man of the year, all rookie, two all two time all NBA, two time all star. I mean, those seem okay, but it's his impact that he made to that team. And those championships, unlike what we mentioned with a couple of, with Ori, the Lakers, Spurs, Rockets, I'll I, I say, going back to Ori right quick, he had an impact for the Rockets championship early in his career, but those, the other five with the Lakers and the Spurs, it, it really wasn't as much, whereas Ginobili played a, a vital role in all four of those championships. He was the guy, he was a catalyst, he was the 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 reason why they won key games, were in key moments, and him, Parker and 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 Duncan all are they are what they they made San Antonio basketball. And yes, I don't wanna take take anything away from David Robertson and even George Gervin, but San Antonio basketball, they need a, a I don't want to say a statue, but something that recognizes those three those three players because that organization is what it is right now because of those three players and Greg Popovich. You said it all. And I agree. I think Manu is a Hall of Famer. Um, just, just like you said, his – his selflessness to to come off the bench and know that that adds punch and creates all types of mismatches against the other team, second team. But the thing is, he didn't start games, but he definitely closed games. Right. Uh, he, he was a finisher, and he definitely, hands down, Hall of Fame. It's nothing, I, I'm not saying anything else. There's no need to waste any argument on that. I agree. So here's the next one. Then I'm going I'm to weigh in on this. This guy... Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson been in the NBA, I think, 14 years. 1, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16. 16. 16 years. Joe Johnson, career average is 16 points. Joe Johnson from 2006 to 2011 – 2010 averaged over 20 points a game when he was in Atlanta. Joe Johnson, to me, his career, even though Joe Dumars' career was not as long, it's very similar to Joe Dumars' career. A solid player, uh, not necessarily a defender, but he's known as a shooter. Now, he was more of a streak shooter because he he, he shot uh, on his career, he's 37% from three-point land. But Joe Johnson, I've seen him take over games. Um being uh, with Atlanta specifically, uh, he used to light teams up. And this is when right. Atlanta was his team when he, when he was in Atlanta for the majority of the time. That was his team. And he took a huge step from when he left from Phoenix to going there. It's kind of hard to, 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 to disqualify this guy. I don't think he's a first time, second time, third. I don't know what the rule on the exception if somebody comes off the ballot, but I think eventually he gets in by the, the hair in his nose. But 
But Joe Johnson, I mean, I think those years in Atlanta when he was dominant, if, if when the writers are voting on that, I think those are the things that, that will, will uh, ring out and, and stay in their minds other than what's happening now playing in Utah and, and this year in uh, Toronto. Uh, I mean, Houston, huh? Oh, yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah, I was looking at the wrong thing. Uh Averaging nine point two and six point eight, because that's he's you know he's sixteen years in. I think with him, if he continues to play, he may tarnish his his chances uh, and dim his his odds of, of making it. But right now, Joe Jackson gets a slow nod to the Hall of Fame. Well, see, this is where me and you differ. Um, Joe is a great player, had great moments as far as. But I think this is where you have to do it on a case-by-case, individual basis. He doesn't have that that signature moment or that signature recognition that makes him stand out. Yes, he's a seven-time All-Star. That, I mean, depending on how he made the team, was he a alternate, was he a re- injury replacement, that type of thing. It's like there's nothing about Joe Johnson that stands out. I mean, he had those great moments in Atlanta, but what did Atlanta do? He didn't – did he get him to the Eastern Conference Finals? Mm-hmm. He didn't get him to the Finals. There's nothing there. He wasn't a uh, – even a, even when he was scoring 25 points, he still wasn't a – his highest career average is 25 on the dot. I still don't think that put him – as a as a top three scorer in the league that year, it's just something's missing from his resume. He doesn't have that that signature moment. Making um, he wasn't an Olympian, so I think if you had something like that, that could have helped. It's just nothing about Joe Johnson that stands out. He's a guy that if he was applying for a job, like okay, he has the qualifications, but are they strong enough for him to get the job? And I say, at this stage, right now, no. Now, he might be a guy that rides somebody's coattails, like, say Houston gets it together and gets it to the finals and gets a ring. It changes the whole narrative. Because in ten, five to ten years, when they're trying to decide or he's on the ballot for the third year, nobody's going to care how Joe got that title or got that ring. It's just going to be on his resume now, NBA champion. So he may need something like that to kind of propel him, even if it is in a situation where he's a a low-end bench contributor. But right now, I'm going to have to say no to Joe. No to Joe. I can't, I can't necessarily argue with that. Like I said, he's I said a slow nine, so he's borderline at best. But here's one that we know and and hold in high regard for from our Detroit Pistons, Ben Wallace. Ben Wallace, as we know, is a defensive-minded player. Um, let me just run off some stats. And I should have did a blind test, but if you heard this and didn't know the name, four-time All-Star, uh, Five-time All-NBA, four-time Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, 
in one time NBA champion, six time all defensive team. Total stats, 5.7 points average. And this one, I think, is what hurts him, even though this is what he's known for. 9.6 rebounds per game average. I was all in on Ben until I saw the rebound average. And if that rebound average would have been four tenths higher to at least 10, I think he would have got the nod from me. But again, if you look at the prime of his career while he was in Detroit, Average 13.2, 13.0, 15.4, which both of those years led the league. 12.4, 12.2, and 11.3. That Those are Hall of Fame potential numbers because he's a defensive specialist. And that's the thing is, you don't have too many defensive specialists, and I don't know if you have any uh, that didn't average double figures. But... I think the hardware that he received in the four defensive player of the years makes it hard that when his name comes up for people not to to contemplate voting for him. But Ben, I love you. Fear the fro, but you're not going in the hall. It's, it's crazy that you say this because I got into another social media debate where somebody said he was more of a sure thing than Carmelo Anthony. And it's, it's, it's baffling. Now, hearing that, you would think that my decision is a no, but I think, once again, this is a situation where it has to be a case-by-case case thing, and while the numbers aren't what you would hope to see for a Hall of Famer, the recognition is those four defensive player of the year stand out. Having him win that title in Detroit and being a major contributor stands out. I think this is one of those, and I'm going to use an NFL player, uh, Terrell Davis. He had a seven-year run, three or four of those years where he was totally dominant, and a couple where he was just okay. And that's where Ben Wallace falls in. That time in Detroit, hold on, excuse me. Bless you. That time in Detroit solidified, made his career. He went on to uh, Chicago for that one season afterwards. And from there, it was kind of downhill. But it's, it saw him as one of the best players Year in, year out, he's not going to be a first ballot. I can see Ben getting in. I can see him getting in, but just not averaging 10, point, 10 rebounds and you defensive specialist. Now, of course, he has the hardware to do it. And, and he was undersized, which adds to him. Um, I want him to get in, but I don't think he's going to get in. All right, let's go down to the last one, and let's call the timeout first, even though we don't have none. It still hurts my heart. Chris Webber. I want your thoughts on C Web first. Um I don't know. It's this is another one of those guys where it would have been nice for him to get a title to solidify it. But I think 
think Chris had enough moments, especially his time in Sacramento, where they were on the cusp. That whole situation, that series with the Lakers, um, it hurt him not to get the title, but he did enough. I'm trying to pull up his numbers. Not I, some reason I got his numbers. So 20 points a game, 9.8 rebounds, uh, 4.2 assists, 47% from the field, 64% from <laughs> land, five-time All-NBA Rookie of the Year. Uh, all rookie team and five time all star. Uh, average high in points 27.1 in 2000 2001 season with the Kings. Led the league, in, see that. led the league in rebound in one year 99. And see, I think what, what hurt him was injuries because he had moments where he was one of the most productive big men in the league, but I think fans forgot about him because he was out in Sacramento. He was in Golden State, out in Sacramento, and they really, at that time, neither one of those, I mean, when he first got to Sacramento, they really weren't on the radar for a lot of fans, and he put that team on the map. He carried that team, and unlike Joe Johnson, he Chris Webber has enough moments. In addition to his what he brought to the table, being a part of the Five Five, I think that's what's going to get him in. Okay, yeah, and I think the Five Five does add some moxie uh, to his his resume. Uh, I'm going to hold judgment on my boat for Chris because I don't know if you know, but I think it's the, the September 15th game. I think it's that game or the Western game. He's supposed to be in the big house. Uh, he was on the radio station uh, in Ann Arbor. Harbaugh called and invited him in to come. I need that to be the closing and the filling in of all the cracks and all the issues that the Fab Five has had. And it'd be a kumbaya. And that's what it'll take for me to get my vote. Uh, yeah, I'm going to vote. Because I'm going straight homerism. Because it's, it's been long, gone, <laughs> gone too long. Everything needs to be tied back in. The banners are gone. But the jerseys can go up. Uh, what 92-93 did happen. Even though it's off the books. Um... I just think that that that's the that's the that's kind of the missing piece. Uh, I know I, I got a feeling that the rest of the five five is gonna find their way there. I think with Jalen heading it up, Jalen mentioned that he was gonna gonna be there because he's that's probably it was his closest closest friend and it's kind of been the hardest on him at least publicly about him coming back and, and making amends. So. I think he makes it in off his numbers. Um, he, I mean, again, his his stretch is similar to Joe Johnson's stretch, but he had moments in those stretch, in that stretch. Even though some of the biggest moments were falling to the Lakers, which Lakers was just a better team, um, but he did have a lot of moments uh, from beginning to end, um, and 
was definitely a dominant player. Average double figures with all the teams that he played for. It only happened in Golden State because he played his first and last year there because his last year he only played nine games and averaged 3.9. But but injuries did play a part of of his career uh, and his dominance. So, see Webb, you get a half boat, and then when you show up at the big house, you'll get another one. Cause you need you need you need to visit visit Chrysler Center. Why you there? Just saying, just saying. All right, so here we go. It is almost no, it is because last week there were games. It's college football season. We've been waiting for this. At least I've been waiting for it a little longer because I've been, again, as y'all know, off the NFL train, but. It's time to really talk about these top storylines in college football. Talk about the highs, the lows, and we're going to go through it. We got about 15 minutes to run through this, but we're going to take our time. So, Q, what's your top storyline in college football for the 2018 season? Um, it's a 1A and 1B, but they kind of tying to each other is the, the teams, the Blue Bloods that are trying to find traction at, one, at the quarterback position. You have Michigan, you have Texas, you have Florida. I'll even throw in LSU in that con- that category. Uh, even Florida State. You have a bunch of teams that are Alabama, truthfully. Mm-hmm. They're trying to find out who their quarterback is. Uh, Nick Saban has yet to name a starter between Now they have another one 
and Shea Patterson, is he the answer? Some say yes, some say no, because of why would a quarterback leave another team if there wasn't an issue? This isn't like free agency in the NFL. There was some stuff that was going on that Ole Miss that he didn't agree with, and that's why he transferred. Um, We've seen quality quarterbacks leave one program and play better at the other. I mean, the poster child for that is, is Russell Wilson. He left NC State because they didn't want him playing baseball anymore, and he led Wisconsin to uh, a Big Ten championship. So don't assume just because a guy leaves a a program that he's leaving because he's not good. It wasn't like he got beat out for a position. This wasn't even a situation with Jake Rubach where uh, Nate Stanley beat him out for the job, and he was like, okay, I'm going to leave. No, this was a, a situation where there was some mess, and there's still some mess down there at Ole Miss and a lot of SEC schools, and he decided to take his talents elsewhere. So those are my things. The the teams without, with or without a quarterback trying to figure that out, and then all these transfers. It's like, I guess, do people want to compete anymore? I guess not. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Somebody was mentioning it on, I, I can't remember what show I was listening to on the radio, but they were saying that when uh, they came up, well, and, and you know, it's actually kind of a, <clears throat> with your statement, it's kind of a, like a, a, a split with some because you have some uh, top players, top quarterbacks going to compete with guys that are top quarterbacks. So you see, I mean, that's why you have, the quarterback controversy in Alabama because Jalen Hurts was there before Tua was there. So the thing is, you see that and you see some guys not willing to wait their turn or their time, and they're really putting things into the eggs into all the eggs into one basket because when you do that, you really only have – well, I mean, you can have two, but usually that junior year is when people rise, that cream rises to the top. Now, granted, you have a lot of players – but typically, quarterbacks don't don't last through their senior year unless it was an injury or something of that sort. Um, so, I mean, those things that are uh, that that mindset is just really different from what it was before. But for me, my top storyline is this Clemson defensive line. Granted, they did they. The, the, all of them returned from last year. They did lose Alabama in overtime in the championship. But this defensive line is being touted as being the best defensive line in college football history. And just in case you didn't know it, that's Cleon uh, Farrell, that's Austin Bryant, uh, Dexter Lawrence, and Christian Wilkins. That And they called them, well, they called themselves n- a number of things, but their latest uh, post on the Clemson, uh, uh, face, I mean, Twitter page, the Power Rangers. These guys are looking to, I think they're playing with a bigger chip on their shoulder than any uh, group of guys in the country. And it could be dangerous for any opposing offensive player, especially offensive line, because I think they felt that they're, they're off, that that championship was stolen from them and that they're ready to, to dominate. Now, I remember <clears throat> wanting to say when we were doing the live show, uh, and I want to say it was three or four years ago, <clears throat> and it was the first year that, that Clemson went to the championship uh, that I was saying that 
I'm not sure if Dabo's recruiting because they were getting number one recruiting uh, uh, recruiting rankings year after year. And I was like, I don't think this year is the year that they're going to step up. I think it's going to be the next year. And that was the year. And that was just the on the beginning of the onslaught. Because you just knew we're getting so many talented classes that once they broke through that glass ceiling, that it was going to be gangbusters. And to me, and it's just me, and maybe it's just the way that they operate, to me, Clemson is much more dangerous than Alabama is. Yes, Alabama reloads and everything else. Alabama, because they're used to having their offense and running game controlling things, are uprooting and installing a new offense for their quarterback because they finally have a quarterback that can throw the ball or throw the deep ball consistently. So it's going to be interesting how they play because the word on the street is that they're playing a more up-tempo game than they had in the past. How is that going to translate? Because their bread and butter was running game, optim, uh, op- opportune passing, and def- and defense lockdown. What's going to be their calling card this year? So I'm interested with the team. And, yeah, some people may be tired of talking about Clemson and Alabama, but until you beat them, you just got to shut up. I mean, that's just the bottom line. But, hey. Yeah, it sucks. I mean, it, it sucks that – but we're seeing this with Golden State and, well, not Cleveland anymore, but Golden State in the NBA, New England and the NFL, there's parity, but then again, there's not. There's always one or two teams that, that rises above, and right now in college football, it's, it's Alabama for sure, five titles in nine years, and then you have... Uh, Clemson, with their multiple college playoff appearances, one national title. And it's, it's just one of those things where you have to ask yourself, who's going to knock What is going to knock them off? Because I don't see a, a singular team being able to do it. This is going to be one of those things where and you hate to wish this upon anyone or hope that it never happens, but injuries. Injuries or a, a fluke moment is going to be the thing that knocked them off. Not a, a, a singular team. Because, I mean, even last year with Alabama losing to Auburn, yes, the Tigers beat them on the field, but when you look at who Alabama was playing without in that game, their whole linebacker core was decimated. Um, and then there were some injuries elsewhere. That played a big factor. Yes, it's not the quarterback and who – the position a lot of people tend to focus on as far as people not being there, but you lose two or three linebackers, especially on that defense, it plays a factor. And I think what allowed them to bounce back was that extra time and preparation, the ball game preparation, that first round where they were, those guys came back and you saw the true Alabama defense. And as far as Clemson, yeah, they're the Power Rangers, but what does the rest of the defense look like? I haven't really looked at their, their roster to see is there experience in the defensive backfield, is there another version of Mackenzie Alexander, those type of uh, Bimbo where those type of line, those players in the back half, the back seven, because yes, you have a, a dominant front four, but it takes 
for a unit to get it done. Because we've seen dominant front fours in 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 Columbus, even in uh, Ann Arbor. And those teams still came up short because there was other deficiencies. What is Kelly Bryant the quarterback? <laughs> um, that's going to lead them. Because um, as much as they relied on that defense last year, the quarterback play let them down last year. Maybe because he was such—I think he was a true freshman last year mm-hmm. or a young, a first-time starter. That's where it, it really played an impact, and it goes back to what I was talking about: quarterback play. Quarterback play will determine success or failure on all levels. High peewee, high school, and definitely college and the pros. And the teams that have struggled the most in college and the pros are the ones that had up and downs at the quarterback play. And that's why it's so imperative for you to have somebody that can sling it. Um, There's nothing more to keep you honest. And a lot of teams... The teams that have it, the the Trace McSorley's, the even um, JT Barrett, and, and this is why I've kind of backed off of Ohio State this year. What is the leadership going to look like now with ha- with him gone? Yeah, he may not have been the most talented passer, but dude was a leader. And there were games, there were moments where he willed Ohio State to victories. Is that going to be the same situation? with Haskins and I'm like this is truthfully his first year as a starter yeah he played my, uh, the second half against Michigan um, and then played against uh, USC in the bowl game but now can't he make it through a full season in the Big Ten we know Urban Myers quarterbacks get nicked up who's the backup Tate Martell I'm bigger than Tate Martell <laughs> and you really you really feel comfortable letting him get his first game action as a quarterback. Cardell backups is anymore, so that's why I look at them as them potentially being a team that may be overhyped, but it is what it is. What else you got on the docket for uh, college football? I know you got some stuff that we got to talk about. Yeah, so so you so you just talked about overhyped or overrated teams. I'm going to go into my overrated team and if we were doing a live show Everybody can see was will be able to see that I have on my Mike Hart jersey. But to, I feel at this point in time in the season, right now or today, that my Michigan Wolverines are overrated team, and I'll give you multiple reasons why. Number one, as good as their defensive, their offense is unproven. Their offense was a smash, three yards in a cloud of dust. Uh, no reliability out of the passing game. Now we have, and I'm calling Shea Patterson, an upgrade over all three quarterbacks that played last year. Doesn't mean that he's going to be a good quarterback. Our quarterback play last year was deplorable. I think the top receiver had 300 yards. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. 300 yards was the leading receiver. Tariq Black, the best receiver from last year, Got injured three games in, missed 10 games. That's what happened last week. Injured that other foot. Out for an undisclosed amount of time. Gary, top defensive play, uh, defensive lineman. He's nicked up. You have so many unproven things. Now, granted, you have talent. But you also have 
two wide receivers that left the program, quarterbacks that left the program, linebackers that left the program, tight ends left the program. What does this all mean? Does this mean that those guys just couldn't cut it? They weren't on, they weren't high on the depth chart. They weren't going to get run. Or does it mean that that's where the competition level is? These guys are just shut. Or is it mean the beginning of the end? Or is it a problem? To me, I need Michigan to be ranked zero. So they can be underdog in, in, in every game to determine where they're going to be. Again, I think... Uh, Saturday's game against Notre Dame is going to be a defensive fest early on because Notre Dame still has question marks and, and why I mean at a quarterback, but Michigan has to be able to impose their will and have some form of a offense, a moving, fleeting offense. Otherwise, this season is going to be another disappointment. Yes, I said another disappointment uh, in in Harbaugh and. Then once once the fans have Harbaugh on the hot seat, he's sitting next to Beelzebub because it's over. Because that's his saving grace right now. Because he's Jim Harbaugh, he'll tarnish his legacy quicker than Isaiah Thomas did, quicker than Magic did. But he repaired it now as a coach. The thing is, is that you have to produce and you can't win games as much as defense wins championships. You ain't win shit without having an offense. And that's his bottom line. So that is my most overrated team. I am going to be watching closely while I'm outside grilling the game. And I'm going to be out there. Like I'm a scout looking at the things that need to be done because this is the year in my opinion, that things have to change. Yes, you have. I'm, I'm going on a little rant, so you just bear with me. Yes, we have have improved talent that we did on, uh, 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 higher than what we had when we had Brady Hoke. What are we doing with that? The quarterback guru, Harbaugh, has multiple quarterbacks that he's brought in. Uh, uh, Jeff George Jr. just left. You have McCaffrey, who hasn't seen the field, who uh, is third string this year. Yeah, Peters, who didn't play out. What are we going to do? Because like you said earlier, his only quarterback success was a transfer, Jake Rudock, from Iowa. So what? It, where's the developing in that? i give you this. Brown is doing his job as defensive coordinator. There's no question. The one good thing with, with Brown, I think he's old enough that he's not trying to leave. That this is his niche and he's good with that. That right now, that is your saving grace, Jim Harbaugh. Until offensively, we become a semblance of what the offense was. Well, I'm trying to think. The last time we had a high-powered offense, well, we had an exciting offense when they came, when we had uh, uh, what's your boy, uh, uh, Denard. There you go, Denard. I got so deep in there, I, I had memory loss. But I think that they're overrated, and I think. Um, they're overrated. I think Michigan State is underrated. I, right now, I think Michigan State is the best team in the state of Michigan until Michigan proves otherwise. Michigan State returns a, a load of uh, returning players. I just think that Michigan has to prove it on the field, not in the PR room. And right now, they win in the PR battle. They've been winning this since Harbaugh came in. But now it's time to show what you can do. Which... Hopefully, is to win. 
two out of the three of your big games. And I mean, I can't, I can't refute it because at this point now, and I've taken the show me mentality, and it's this is the one season I kind of wish they would have opened up the season with a cupcake. I mean, it reminds me of that first year Harbaugh got there and was playing Utah. I mean, on the road with Jake Rudock, new quarterback, uncertainty. But I think because the defense, he has a better defensive scheme and a better handle of his that side of the ball, it may be a better circumstance, but it just give I have that eerie feeling about this with that. And it, it boils down to being able to win on the road and win close games against teams that matter. Um, beating Western, beating um, Indiana, beating Maryland, beating even Nebraska this year is irrelevant. You have to – there's four games on the schedule. No, five games on the schedule. Notre Dame, Wisconsin, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan State. You got to go four and one of those games. Got to go four and one. Got to go four and one of those games. Three and two. Barely, but four and one, you got to go. And and looking at, and and somebody, I mentioned this, and they laughed at me, but, I mean, Notre Dame and Wisconsin. Everybody's hyping up Wisconsin. I think this is my overrated team. Them being ranked in the top five, I don't see it. Uh, Alex Hornibrook, yes, he had a great game against Miami in the ball game. But this dude threw an interception every game in the Big Ten Conference except against Minnesota. And Jonathan Taylor is his saving grace because he's such a great running back, but they lost a lot defensively that I think they have to replace either seven to eight starters on that side of the ball. I mean, um, yes, starters on the defensive side of the ball. They lost Troy Fumagalli uh, to graduation, who was, a, who was a security blanket for Hornybrook, and he lost Cepheus, uh, the wide receiver, for a couple of games. I think either – no, he left the program. So – it's, I just don't see Wisconsin. only reason why people are hyping up Wisconsin is because they play in the, uh, the Big Ten West. And the Big Ten West has been so down to the point where you like, oh, do we need to restructure the divisions again? Because they're, until uh, Scott Frost and Nebraska get up to speed, Nebraska is leading the way. It's like Iowa did it one year when they play Michigan State in the Big Ten championship game. But it's like, other than that, it's like, it's the, it's the big it's the big four against everybody else. Yeah. But um, it, it's, it's definitely a, a wait and see with Michigan. And it's, it's, I'm not so much worried about Shea Patterson. I'm worried about the offensive line. And not in the sense that they don't have talent. It's just coming together understanding the new scheme and just being able to gel. You have the interior of the line being straight with Cesar Ruiz, uh, Big Mike Anjue, um from Cass, and then um, Ben Bredesen with the tackles. So it's like, okay, maybe it's good that Patterson is a somewhat mobile and he can create with his feet. That's a that's something that they haven't had since Denard, Denard and uh, Devin. So maybe 
maybe that adds an element that can help them out of some bad situations. So, I mean, it's just it's, it's going to be interesting. Then you have other teams outside of the conference. I mean, who would have – I guess they've done it before maybe, but USC started the true freshman at quarterback in JT Daniels. Well, the Pac-12 the Pac is all in the island all by themselves. Um, yeah. I, I mean, they're almost the equivalent right now of of the minor league of college football just because it's really not there. I mean, you look at Stanford. Stanford, again, is going to be competitive, but they don't have – I mean, granted, they have a great running back, but outside of – they just don't have that moxie. And, again, the competitiveness and the talent level – at least of what's being shown or what was shown in the last years in in uh, the Pac-12, especially losing quarterbacks, top quarterbacks out of the top uh, out of Pac-12, it really lowers that. So even if you have a team, especially if you have a surprise team out of the Pac-12, they may not get a shot. You could see an undefeated team out of the Pac-12 maybe get shut out of the out of the Final Four because. They're going to be ridiculed to no end because if the talent level of that conference is anywhere close to what it was last year, um, they're not going to have a shot. I think Washington has a chance, but they have to beat Auburn this Saturday. They have to beat Auburn and then still run the table because, like you just said, the the committee is, will be looking at the fact that the Pac-12 doesn't maybe Oregon steps back up with uh, Mario Cristobal at the coach now and, and, and better quarterback play, but you expect USC to take a step back, UCLA to take a step back, um, Arizona State is harm to answer as a new coach. Arizona has a new coach. Uh, Stanford, I think the two teams that you really have to be concerned with out there is Stanford and Washington, and and then. The nation or the, the conference has to hope that Washington runs the table because if they lose to, they can beat Auburn but lose to Stanford or lose to uh, one of the the also runs in the conference. That's going to jeopardize everything. Whereas you see a team like Alabama or even Georgia where they can lose one game and still be good. You look at even Clemson if somehow they lose to Florida State but they run the rest of the table. They may be able to still sneak in. Uh, the Big Ten, depending on who it is, if it's Ohio State, if it's uh, – I mean, you have three or four teams right now in the Big Ten that you can honestly say if they lose one game, they're still okay. But can you say that for Washington? I don't think so. No, you can't. Not not even close. So with this, before we get to our, our, our picks in there, so here, there's a big debate. And it's going across a lot of the major shows of what is the best conference. Is it the everybody's favorite conference, the SEC, or is it, as some people believe, the Big Ten this year? Um, I guess I would have to determine what the term what it signifies the best. Yes, you have arguably the best team. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're the best conference. Because when you're looking at uh, Vanderbilt, when you're looking at Kentucky, when you're looking at uh, Mississippi State, when you're looking at Missouri, are those teams match carrying or holding up their end within the conference? Whereas you look at 
the Big Ten, outside where you still have those who you got some bottom feeders, Rutgers, Maryland again this year, uh, Illinois. That's why you compare the bottom feeders. Who has the worst bottom feeders? Uh, ACC, um, Virginia, uh, I think Duke might have slipped back down. So it's, it's really hard to determine who has the worst, the least worst teams of the conference. I mean, I, right now because of, of what you look at, Georgia, Alabama, and uh, Auburn being the top three teams versus Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin. You have more top. It's, 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 it, I still have to get an edge to the Big Ten, top to bottom. Yeah, top to bottom, I would probably say the edge goes to the Big Ten. But the SEC top heaviness, I mean, if you put the top the top four teams in the SEC versus the top four teams in the Big Ten, I feel that the, the, the SEC would have a probably a 3-1 record. Depending on if you did one against four, two against three, uh, that way on both sides, um, and the championship prowess that they have. I mean, because at the end of the day, as good as Penn State has been in the last couple of years, Michigan State got to the Final Four. Ohio State has gotten to the promised land. The showing the Big Ten has had on the big stage against those teams has been deplorable. Now, granted, this is a different season, and I think the Big Ten has more balance and has, like you said, the, the bottom feeders are, are are better. But if you look at the best teams on both sides, I find it hard to believe if you just go one, if, even if you just go one against one. So if you go Alabama against, is Ohio State your one in the Big Ten? Right now, nope. Michigan State is. So, Alabama against Michigan State, who you have? Even on the neutral side, I got to go with Alabama. So, number two in the SEC is Georgia? Mm-hmm. Georgia against Ohio State? I'm going to Ohio State. Okay. Um, then number three is Penn State or Wisconsin? Uh, if you read the article, I had Michigan three. So okay, so, but I'm gonna just well, no, you could go with your your ranking. So uh, Michigan against uh, Auburn. Auburn. Um, Auburn against Michigan. Michigan against Auburn. Auburn against Say some uh, South Carolina has been getting a lot of push, so we can put South Carolina there against uh, Penn State or Wisconsin. Wisconsin, Wisconsin? okay. Yeah. So who gets the nods? 
go. Yeah, that's tough. I'm gonna go with Wisconsin. I mean, yeah, because South Carolina is still kind of on the rise of unknown commodities. So you have them going two and two with your numbers uh, switch. Um, you know, if your numbers were switch and Ohio State was number one, they may have gone three and one the SEC. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but I mean, the thing is, is that it's it's almost a push. But I give the SEC, a, and I'm going at, I'm not even looking at the bottom feeders because the bottom feeders are not the one to play and make your. I'm looking at that top, and to me, Michigan is not in the top four, so I would have them going probably three and uh, one and three against the, the SEC. I had the SEC with a slight edge, but again, the the season plays itself out, and and the one thing that I hate that will occur is you'll have a overrated SEC team lose early on in the season. Go to the depths and come back and be in play and be a win away from getting to the final four because of SEC. But <laughs> that that is what it is. Let's go in and get our predictions for this first stash second week of college football. Do you have a game of the week, Q? Um, I'm gonna go well other than the Michigan Notre Dame game, but I'm gonna pick the game. Down here, LSU versus Miami. Mm-hmm. The turnover, the turnover chain versus the new starter in Joe Burrow. Um, Miami is coming into the season with uh, Rozier, Malik Rozier coming back as quarterback. A lot of expectations on the defensive side of the ball. Um, the fact that LSU is breaking in a, a brand new quarterback that was a transfer. I got to get an edge to Miami. Um, even though I can see the the crowd at AT and T Stadium, aka Jerry's Jerry's World, being pro LSU because it's not that far, it's a lot closer than uh, Miami is. Um, I, I still have the Hurricanes winning the game, uh, 27 twenty seven twenty seven <laughs> twenty. Okay, well my, my game of the week is probably not one that many would pick, but this actually match up. Matchup has been a really good uh, game over the years. It's a game that I know I won't see the end of because it's on Labor Day at 8 o'clock. I don't know whose bright idea that is. Like, people don't have to get up and go to work. Kids don't have to go to school the next day. Uh, but this this matchup right here between these teams, everybody's looking to see what Florida State is going to be. They've done a complete overhaul. Jimbo's out of there. Francois is back as the quarterback. What are they going to do? How are they going to show up against the Hokies? The Hokies tend to be at their best when they are under the radar. They're underrated. They are the underdog in this matchup. Uh, you know I have close ties to Hokey Hokey High uh, from grad school. I am going to go with Georgia. Uh, sorry, Georgia. Where did that come from? Virginia Tech. <laughs> Uh, with a, a 24 to 19 win over Florida State. I think Florida State is still figuring it out. You have a new coach. You have a quarterback that's just coming back. It's going to be an exciting game, but special teams will play a part in it, as it always does in Virginia Tech game, uh, and that will be the reason why they win this game. Let's go to our game, the Michigan-Notre Dame game. 
Sunday night, I mean Saturday night in South Bend. Uh man, I don't know what to expect. I I think this year I thought going into the season I would be in a better place or thought press thought thought process of what the team will look like. At this point right now, I'm kind of clueless to what what they're going to look like. Um I know the defense is going to show up. I know they're going to do well. Offensively, I think I, I need to see a lot. Uh, Notre Dame's defense is going to be a tough defense. On the road, tough game. Weather may play a factor. I know it's raining here on Saturday. Weather may play a factor in that game. I have a hard time picking my Wolverines in this game against Notre Dame. They're not doing well. Being old, uh, in a tough matchup on the road. Uh, unfortunately, I'm taking Notre Dame in this game. Mm, interesting. I guess I'm going to have my homer hat on. I, I, I have a feeling that because Notre Dame's starter at running back is suspended for this game, they're going to try to do too much with having um, the quarterback run to create, and that may lead to, even with the bad weather, that may lead to turnovers, or if not worse, an injury that knocks him out the game. Um, Notre Dame has some some big receivers, but I think he's going to struggle getting them the ball. And while Notre Dame's defense is pretty good, I think there's going to be a play by either one of the, the two running backs from Michigan that's going to define or decide this game. I got Michigan winning. I mean, you you know who I, who I want to win. I just don't don't see it happening. Right. <laughs> so I'm giving you the I'm good, good. Make sure you're sticking with it. I'm going to the hourly weather for South Bend and. I need more hours, the next eight. So, it's supposed to be thunderstorms earlier in the day. Uh, what happened to my next eight hours? Oh, shoot. Hourly? Dude, seriously, you're going to try to make me pay to see the next thing? Let's go to after. Wow. I mean, literally, I clicked on hours, and then it only gave me. So, it's supposed to rain earlier in the game in the day. I can't see what this. Thank you. I'm not even going to call your name because you're disrespecting me trying to find this. But it's going to be some level of bad weather, rainy, no longer. I mean, not sure how long it's going to be in there. But I think that we saw that last year against Michigan State. That does not bode well for Michigan, especially under those conditions in tight games. But I think that the – I want to say that the veteran leadership on defense – and some of the people stepping stepping up. I think that offensive line hopefully will finally gel together. If that happens, you're gonna see a Michigan that you're a Michigan team that you're proud of. So we'll see. Come back next week with our with our predictions or our next podcast on if we were right. If we were right. But again, folks, make sure that you check out all of uh, the ways to contact us and follow us. Instagram and Twitter, sports underscore QA, 
Also, high schoolers, sports underscore QA underscore preps. Follow us on uh, Facebook group, Sports Q&A, and our website, www.sportsqanda.com. Last but not least, this podcast is available on iTunes, on Spotify, and also on Anchor, as well as some other other podcasting hosting sites. Anything you want to say before we out of here, Q? No, I'm just glad that college football finally gets into the swing of things this weekend. Um, I did watch some of the, the Hawaii versus Colorado State and the, the North Carolina A&T versus uh, Jacksonville State game last week, but this is the full Monty this weekend. It starts tomorrow, so hey, college football College football is back, baby. It's back. Thanks for tuning in to the Sports Q&A podcast. We will see you when we see you. Oh, that's the last thing I forgot. I almost forgot. Definitely want to give condolences to the family of Aretha Franklin, the queen of soul, uh, queen of the D. Uh, Right now, the viewing of her body, it was from 9 to 9 today, yesterday and today. Um, there'll be a uh, a uh, tribute concert at Shane Park, and then the funeral will be on Friday. Uh, again, just decades, six decades of music that has touched fa- souls, families, everything. And you can just tell by the outpouring. You can just tell by the list of people, dignitaries that will be either at the concert or 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 performing at the funeral. Uh, again, condolences to the family of uh, Aretha uh, Franklin, the Queen of Soul, uh, rolling out in her pink Cadillac uh, with her red dress and red bottoms on with her legs crossed in the casket. Right. <laughs> yeah, so definitely wanted to do that. Again, check us out on the podcast, and we will see you now when we see you. Peace. Peace.